Hello, and welcome to episode 5 of the podcast Three Deaths No Life by me, Alan Boyce. Today is going to be a shorter podcast than usual. I know I said that last time as well, but today it's going to be particularly short as I've just come back from holiday in Fuerteventura, thanks for asking, and I have a bit of a croaky throat, which I don't want to exacerbate by doing the Keith voice too much. We're also getting uh, uncomfortably close to the bits that I know need some attention before I would be comfortable exposing them to daylight. Part of the reason for doing this as a podcast was to kick myself up the arse to get on and do that editing and rewriting, which I've actually found considerably harder to do than to write the thing in the first place. Anyway, before we start with tonight's story, uh, my intention was, when I set out producing this podcast a few weeks ago, was that I'd include a little bit of chat, like this, in each session, about the process of writing, editing and podcasting a novel-sized story like this one. And I've not done any of that since episode one. Uh, When I did do that, I received a mixed reception to it. So I suppose I'll start by asking if you, dear listeners, think it's a good idea or a bad one. Please do leave feedback on SoundCloud or on Facebook, where I uh, where I post it to people who I know, uh, if you're following me on either of those. Also, if you are getting this off iTunes, which you can do, please, please, please give me a good review on there. Go on, even if you think the story's crap. Uh, because the point of doing this is uh, to generate attention and interest, and if I've got good reviews on iTunes, then hopefully... It will draw the attention of rich and powerful individuals who will be able to lift me out of this mundane life uh, and into the gilded circle of uh, proper authors. That's the theory anyway. Um, So, this podcast is, is actually just one scene from the story and it will probably seem, when you first listen to it, uh, that it has nothing to do with the rest of the story, but... Please do rest assured, be patient, uh, that some important shit goes down in the next 3,000 words. So, here we go. Three Deaths, No Life, Part 5. While business was booming, Keith was keen for us to find out more about the world of the paranormal. Don't you ever wonder where it came from, Sean? Well, sort of. As I mentioned earlier, I was somewhat sheepish about how little I bothered to investigate it. The thing is, how do you know that this is all you can do? Maybe you could, you know, level up, develop your powers somehow to be more useful. These occultists I've read about have grades and progressions. I don't mean that what you can do isn't useful. It's great, Sean, really great. But imagine what we could do if you could... I don't know, make your body appear and disappear at will, or read minds, or just go slightly faster. If you didn't have to walk everywhere, you know, it would be bloody useful. We know you can leave your body behind, in defiance of everything scientists say they know about physics, so why should we just assume that's the only exception to the rules? There could be so much more. Keith's attention was wandering as he was saying this. He seemed to be addressing these thoughts to himself more than to me. And what if it's not just you, Sean? 
Sure, you might have been born with the gift or whatever you want to call it, but it stands to reason that if one person can do it, others can too. Don't take this the wrong way, Sean, but what's so special about you? What could possibly make you so unique that you can do something nobody else in the whole world can? I wasn't offended. Why would I be? He had a point. What was so special about me? What if this is something I could do too? If we figured out how you do it, I could learn to do it as well. So we began attending readings and seances, and Keith began reading books about Tibet, alchemy and theosophy. And we met Schneck, or to give them their full title, the Surrey and North Hampshire Esoteric Circle. Clearly, Schneck is not an accurate abbreviation of their name, but that's what Keith and I called them, because S-N-H-E-C looks like it sounds like Schneck. It was through Schneck that we met Sandra, and through her, after I died for the first time, that I encountered Dr Claudius. Schneck met in a church hall just outside Woking every other Wednesday evening. Keith had seen a flyer for the group in a chip shop, which claimed that its mission was to investigate and explore the powers of the human mind. That sounded like a good place to start. The first time we went to a Schneck meeting, it was raining heavily. Arriving in Keith's mum's micro at the hall, we were fairly surprised to see the car park was full. The building was a one-storey breeze-block construction with a corrugated roof that almost certainly played host to asbestos. The door was open and we could see along a corridor through another open door into the one light of the hall itself. A heated argument appeared to be underway between two older men. Is this a good idea, Keith? I asked. In retrospect, the doubts I felt at that moment were probably as close as I ever came to being able to foretell the future. Everything would certainly have turned out better if we'd never gone in. We're just here to listen and learn, Sean. Remember, no matter how mental this lot seem, they might have something they don't know the value of. The corridor was lit by a single fluorescent tube that flickered every few seconds. It made me twitch. The walls were lined with posters for scout groups, local history clubs, parish council notices, almost all of them long out of date. Scuffed plastic chairs in acidic orange and green were pushed back against the walls. The doormat was sodden with mud and water, and filthy footprints covered the grey tiled floor through to the main hall. You go in first, Sean. While they're looking at you, I'll scope the crowd. I walked into the main hall. No one looked at me. This room was wood-panelled, for the most part in amber-lacquered pine. Almost certainly it was veneer on chipboard. In the middle of the room were a number of trestle tables, topped with various model trains. These seemed to be the crux of the dispute. We have this hall from 6.30pm. You have it until 6.30pm. Until! It's your responsibility to be out of here by the time our slot starts. Every week this happens. The speaker was a willowy older man in a tweed suit. His hair was white and his skin was almost translucent. As he spoke, he jabbed his forefinger into his thigh, emphasising the first syllable of each word. The gesture was clearly a sublimated proxy for poking the chest of the second man, this one broadly built, wearing a purple-hooded anorak. The second man had a look of amused but rapidly dwindling tolerance on his face. Our speaker got here late because of the traffic on the A3, he replied patiently. He brought his locos all the way from Southampton for us to see. 
we'd only overrun by five minutes. That's not the point, the first man shouted, turning away, gritting his teeth and clenching his eyes shut all at once. SHNEC pays for an hour and a half. You finish late every week. You don't even start putting your little trains away until half past. Every week. These are not trains, the second man said, in a way that suggested that this was a conversation he had had many times before. Every week. You are stealing ten minutes a week from my group and my members. It was not hard to tell which groups the other people in the hall belonged to. Drifting towards the doorway Keith and I had just come in through were several casually dressed men in their fifties and sixties, each clutching a little cardboard box. They had the confident, easy manner of people satisfied with what they had achieved in life and unabashed about what anyone might think about their hobby. When not regarding the row with amusement, they were discussing which of the village's two pubs to retire to. The other group, which was moving deeper into the hall as the other moved outwards, was what you might call eclectic. There were women and men, both young and old. One enormous woman was draped in multicoloured kenti robes and a white kufi cap and was carrying a wicker basket, behind whose metal grill the green eyes of a furious-looking black cat blazed out. A younger man with thick glasses and the hood of his coat still up had put down his Morrison's bag for life, the one with the carrots on, and began to move the chairs around the hall. I looked at the hems of his trouser legs. As I suspected would be the case, an inch of sock was visible. The others occupied various points on this spectrum between dowager witch doctor and bullied nascent psychopath. There were eight of them, which, we were soon to learn, was the usual turnout for a Schneck meeting. I will be raising a formal complaint with the committee. This has gone on for too long. You do that. The second man was packing away the last remaining models with a care and attention that told of the love he had for these objects, which, which also, coincidentally, meant that his progress was maddeningly slow. He was fully aware of this and had no intention of speeding up. Indeed, the angrier the other man got, the more cheerful he became. And don't think I haven't noticed where your car is. The first man stuck out his chin as he followed the other, finally finished, to the doorway. I know where you parked. You parked in the bishop's space. That's reserved at all times. I know your car. What if he needs it? The second man gave a tired, mocking wave over his shoulder as he left the hall. The bishop's parking space! The pale man slammed the hall door behind the departing model railway enthusiast. Now he saw us. Who are you? Keith stepped forward. Mr. Parsons. Parson. Parson. It is Parson singular, not Parsons plural. But yes, I am he. Mr. Parsons stood back cautiously, his hands in his pockets. We spoke on the phone earlier in the week. My name is Keith. There was an infinitesimally short pause. Smith. And this is Sean. Sean Jones, I added. We're interested in your group, in your work. The work, Keith resumed, glaring at me. Ah, well, welcome. Yes, welcome. Welcome to the Surrey and North Hampshire esoteric circle, Mr Smith and Mr Jones. If Mr Parson had found our choice of pseudonyms in any way suspicious, he did not show it. The work, yes, the work, he continued. Sandra! Sandra! A woman, perhaps the same age as me, and by far the most normal-looking person in the room, trotted over. She had a pleasant, if unremarkable, face, and was wearing an equally pleasant and unremarkable waterproof jacket. She smiled at Mr Parson, and then at me and Keith. 
Sandra, please take these gentlemen into the kitchen and give them tea or coffee and one of our biscuits while the brothers and sisters ready their mise en scène. With these last words, Mr. Parson looked up towards the roof and theatrically spread his open palms alongside his chalky face. Come on, lads. Sandra spoke with a West Midlands accent and indicated a door in the side of the hall. The door led to a small kitchen. The other members of the group had stopped what they were doing and watched us walk towards it. The kitchen's roll-up serving hatch was shut and Sandra closed the door behind us once we were inside. Tea or coffee? Er, uh, tea, please, Keith replied. Tea as well, I added. Don't mind that business you saw when you first arrived. We have it most weeks. Mr Parson gets ever so cross about the late starts. That train lot tees him something awful. It's really not good for him or his energy. I tell him, think about your karma, Rupert, Mr Parson, but he gets so worked up. Biscuit? Sandra reached into a cupboard and brought down a Tupperware container labelled Property of SNHEC, Do Not Remove. She opened it and peered inside. We've got digestives and rich tea. Or, I should tell you, Anne usually brings one of her wonderful homemade cakes along for the break. Mmm, they're so moist but really light. She's a wonderful baker, is Anne, but you mustn't believe a word she tells you. She's full of SH1T, if you'll pardon the expression. Keith declined, saying he would wait for the cake. I had a digestive. What you'll find out about the circle and others like us is that it's only a small number who have real gifts, and you can tell them apart from the frauds because their auras are righteous. That lot in there, only Mr Parson really knows what's what. He's very wise. You can learn a lot from him, lads, if you're interested in the spirit. And he's a lovely man with it. I look after his mother. She's 85, but she's away with the fairies most of the time. There was a knock on the door. It opened a crack, and the creepy young man stuck his face in. He still had his hood up. Bring them in, he said peremptorily, without making eye contact and withdrawing his head as he did so. You got the sense from him that if he did turn his gaze on you, he'd either be reduced to ashes or a fit of giggles. He's a strange one, Sandra said, shaking her head. Barely says a word to anyone. I could see him as a black magician. His mum's lovely, though, and so proud of him. Drinks far too much, though, she does, poor woman. Called the boy Ethan. Ethan Oliver. Karma. We all went back into the hall, where the group members were sat in a semicircle, facing Mr Parson at a desk, along with the non-specifically African-themed woman and her cat basket. Again, all eyes were on us. You must excuse us, Mr Parson addressed us from across the room as we headed towards the three remaining seats. You'll understand that there are certain elements of our proceedings which are only for the eyes of the initiated, and so, should you come again, you'll have to be confined to the kitchen area during the opening phases of the circle's convocations. I hope you don't mind, it's just, you know... The others nodded solemnly and appreciatively. No matter how amusing the railwayman found Mr Parson, his authority was undisputed here. Now, we have a special treat in store tonight. Mrs Thomas he indicated the woman, who nodded and smiled graciously, will be telling us about animal familiars and their invocation in the traditional religions of West Africa, with the help of her cat, Charlie. Charles, Mrs Thomas interjected, in a voice several registers deeper than Mr Parsons. I beg your pardon, with the help of Charles. So, without further ado, as we are already running very late due to the lack of consideration of other users of these facilities earlier this evening, I will hand you over to our esteemed speaker. 
I didn't really follow a great deal of what Mrs. Thomas had to say. Using a lot of terms I couldn't understand, such as Neo-Pythagorean, the Pleroma, Candomblé and Syncreticism, she seemed to be telling us that Charles was in fact not a cat, but the reincarnated soul of an Ashanti shaman, who could talk, fly and bestow valuable gifts of some sort or another. However, he chose not to do so during the meeting, and merely sat glaring with terrified malice from the corner of his basket. The rest of the audience appeared to be taking this perfectly seriously. Ethan was taking notes. Eventually, Mr. Parson rose to his feet. I noticed that Sandra had gone. I think we'll take a five-minute break now. If we only take five minutes instead of the scheduled ten, Mrs. Thomas should be able to get back on schedule following the late start, and we'll have time for some questions. I've finished, Mrs. Thomas boomed. Uh, well, let's have a five-minute break, and then perhaps Mrs. Thomas can answer the many questions I'm sure you have about Charles. His final words were drowned out by the sound of the shutter being rolled up on the kitchen hatch. Sandra was there with a row of mugs and the SNHEC biscuits, now on a plate. The meeting ended shortly thereafter, as nobody really had any questions to ask Mrs Thomas and Charles persisted in refusing to display any unusual qualities. Well, thank you very much to Mrs Thomas for coming and giving us such a stimulating account of her cat. Thank you also to Anne for her splendid cake. Anne looked up from her knitting, smiled sweetly and gave a little wave. And I'd just like to remind you there will be no meeting in two weeks' time, as Mrs Parson is hosting a candle party, which I am unavoidably committed to attend. We will be back in four weeks, however, when our very own Sandra will be giving us a demonstration of some of the more advanced yoga positions and the theory behind them. As the group broke up, Mr. Parsons started coming over towards us. I really want to get out of here, Keith said to me under his breath. Gentlemen, I hope you weren't, uh, disappointed this evening. As I'm sure you can imagine, the work attracts, um, uh, particular types of people, some of whom, uh... No, we enjoyed it enormously, didn't we, Sean? Keith replied. I really feel, um, a sense of kinship. Here, I feel that we could really learn a lot from you and your fellow initiates. Really? Well, that's wonderful, wonderful. Now, I do hate to bring this up, but we do ask for three pounds from everyone who comes to our sessions to cover the room hire costs and the refreshments. Soon we were speeding back towards town. Sean, it's a start. Obviously that Catwoman was just insane, and the rest of them don't seem much better. But that parson, even if he doesn't know anything himself, he'll know what to read and he'll know other people. It's social networking, Sean, like with the business. And that, gentle listeners, is where we shall leave it for this week. I'm telling you, it's all going to kick off in the next session. And I hope you will join me for that next Sunday. Bye-bye!